Welcome to Citizen. 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 Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show. Hello, everybody out there. I'm here today with Larry Klebeck from the Humane Society International Australia. And Larry has been advocating for the end of SharkNet program in New South Wales. I feel this is the most important podcast ever because it's a defining moment in New South Wales where we can really make a big difference to the marine environment. Thank you, Larry, for joining us. Thank you so much again. I'm just a pleasure to be here. And Larry, um, why do you really want to stop shark nets? Shark nets have been used in New South Wales since 1937. So it's a, it's a very, very old program. And since that time, it's been used to reduce the risk of shark bite. Now, there's been 80 years of progress in technology and, and our understanding of shark behavior in that time. And, and what we've learned is not only do the shark nets are not able to reduce the risk of shark bite, but they're actually a scourge on the marine environment. They take rays, dolphins, turtles, whales occasionally. So there's better ways to protect people in the water. And we need to get rid of the shark nets. What sort of technology would be used to replace them? There's a couple of things. Uh, the Department of Primary Industries, who runs the program in New South Wales, has for about a decade now, investing in some of these new technological methods to reduce that risk. The one that we see a lot these days is drone surveillance. So a lot of drones are being put in the skies above our most popular beaches. Try to spot potentially hazardous animals before they come too close to swimmers and ocean users. Another one that's big in the media these days is what are called smart drumline. Now, SMART is a acronym standing for Shark Management Alert in Real Time. And that's pretty much a baited hook on a buoy about 500 meters off a beach. Uh, if an animal takes that bait, a contractor is immediately alerted that can race out to the drumline uh, and tag and relocate that animal rather than it being uh, a lethal measure. So it is a non-lethal form of a drumline. Those are now permanent installations up and down the New South Wales coast. There's about 170 of them in the state. And then we've got things like the Shark Spot education program where it's a state-funded program to help people understand shock behavior um, and things that we can do to reduce our risk. When we enter the water, looking out for those red flags. If, if you see birds diving, if you see the surface of the water boiling, maybe don't go in that area because um, there are predators feeding there. Education by far away is probably the most effective, but there are some of these new alternatives in place that are more effective at reducing the risk than what we have now with the with the shock nets. Where did you get your interest in the marine environment to get involved with this sort of stuff? Yeah, Ian, that's kind of a funny one. I grew up somewhere nowhere near the ocean. I grew up in uh, in Minnesota in the United States, but. I, I just think back to a time when watching some ocean documentaries. I might have even been old enough to have been the old Chuck Cousteau ones. Oh, he was my hero, Chuck Cousteau. <laughs> yeah, yeah and pretty and pretty phenomenal stuff. And and I was just always so drawn to it. So, you know, as soon as I was old enough and reached 18, you know, moved out to California and went to university and never looked back since. Always been near the ocean and 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 doing what I can to engender a better relationship between mankind and the ocean. And I'm proud to say that's what I'm here to do. Can you talk a little bit about the society that you work for? I know a lot of people probably don't know too much about it. I don't know too much about it myself. Yeah, so you mean Society International Australia has been around since uh, the early 90s, 1991. Our office is here in beautiful part of the coast here in Avalon, just north of Sydney. 
And if it has anything to do with animal welfare and environmental conservation, there's a good chance that we're involved. So not only do we work on things like um, native forest logging and hazard reduction burns and, and things like that, and, and the best way to, to handle wildlife in those situations, we also do things like animal agriculture, live export and battery cages and things like that. As the marine biologist on the team, I work on our ocean campaigns, which is mostly our sharks and in the past have been whaling, um, but also seabird bycatch and, and things of that okay. nature. Plastic pollution, marine protected areas, yeah, all kinds of stuff like that. I, I'm happy to weigh in and happy to put in my two cents in with policy and, and legislation. And um, that's where we try to enact change. Oh, that's a big one there, isn't it? Policy and um, and politicians. We have actually sent 13 emails to councillors and we received three back. You know, it's better than getting none back. One said, it's my understanding that shark nets of our beaches is controlled by the state government. But rest assured, Lake Macquarie Council is very much in support of replacing shark nets with drum lines and therefore advocating for the same. So the second one's come back. Thanks for the email. Personally believe in the removal of shark nets. And as you have noted, the use of more modern methods such as smart drums and drone surveillance, if elected councils are presented with the opportunity to vote on the matter, I will be supporting this position. Three out of um, 13 Hopefully we can get a few more replies from those emails. What's been your experience with people writing into the politicians? Has it been like a good response? Yeah, you know, I've not gotten a single response that has been overtly negative. There's no one has, no politician has come out and said to me, well, all I really want to do is kill sharks and marine wildlife. Because thankfully, we're kind, of, we're kind of past that. And this is politicians at every level. This is down from uh, your local council all the way up to... Um, in, even Chris Minns, the premier of New South Wales, came out and said something on shark nets today because it's big, big in the media these days. And they've all said if they're not supportive of immediately remo removing the nets, they're supportive of finding alternatives that will work better. It seems that everyone is on the same page that this is not a great program moving forward. There's massive amounts of doubts that it provides any bit of safety to people in the water or, or, or can reduce the risk of shock bite. And as I was talking about before, it does take a pretty devastating toll on our marine wildlife. A couple hundred animals every year off the New South Wales coast. This year, 288. So yeah, all the politicians are in agreement that there's got to be a better way. It's just about who's going to have the political courage to make that decision and push things forward. Should we get our banners and posters and start rallying and doing professional protesting yet? We've had had a few rallies on the beaches. We've done a few down here closer to me and Manly. Queensland has a similar program up there, so we've done a few on the Gold Coast and the Sunny Coast. It's more about education now. Sharks are scary to people, and, and that's not without good reason. People are afraid of the unknown, and what's more unknown than the deep, dark depths, yeah. I'm of a mind that you don't change hearts and minds by pointing out how stupid everyone is. You change hearts and minds by understanding where they're coming from and working with them to help them arrive at a better conclusion. One of my heroes is Valerie Taylor. I was watching a little bit on her and she was saying that she regretted filming the footage on Jaws. If people out there don't know, she, um, she did the filming for the Jaws movie and she didn't realise it would be scary for people so she's done more damage for the creatures that she's loved and she's spent a lot of her life redoing that damage. It's funny how even people can hear that music, hey? Dun -dun, dun -dun. 
and they won't even go in the water. Yeah, that's exactly right. And as you just said, Val's done so much great work uh, since that time in ocean conservation and helping people understand the importance of sharks to the environment, the importance of sharks to marine ecosystems and why we need healthy sharks to have a healthy ocean. Yeah. And yet she's led the way in this country on that. So yeah, she, it's, it's absolutely incredible. But back to your point on Jaws, you're absolutely right. Um, Peter, eventually, even the even the author of, of Jaws regretted as in later years regretted writing the novel. Wow, I never knew that. Yeah, wow, that's and interesting. The fact that sharks do pose a risk, not nearly to the extent as it's dramatized in, in the Jaws films, but the mere fact that sharks do do pose a small risk to human safety in the ocean has meant sharks lag so far behind in conservation issues than any other animal. People want to save the whales. They've wanted to save the whales since the 1970s. People love dolphins. They've wanted to save dolphins since the, since the 70s. But only now is shark conservation entering into the conversation because it's taken so long for people to understand and get over those fears and realize that sharks are such critical cogs in ocean ecosystems. And then that fear is really uh, honestly irrational. And I heard a little rumor that um, you're part of the gray nurse shark recovery plan. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. In a way I, I play, a, I play a role in that. So every threatened species in Australia is supposed to have a recovery plan. So there are a few threatened species of Marine wildlife, things like gray nurse sharks, things like great white sharks, things like uh, sawfish. These are these animals all have recovery plans that every five to seven years, depending on the species, the Federal Department of the Environment will renew that recovery plan. They'll get all the experts in the room, myself included, and they'll sit down and say, all right, what do we need to do to facilitate population recovery of this species? And I have taken part in a few of the last plannings for some of these species, including the gray nurse shark. Thankfully, that population has has rebounded to a small extent from its lowest points in the 60s and 70s. I think we're up to about 3,000 individuals or so on the on Australia's east coast. But yes, it's not always the most fascinating marine biology to sit in a big conference room in Canberra, but it's important work, and, I, and I'm very lucky that I get to be a part of that. That would be a very interesting meeting with all those experts. Yeah, absolutely. There's some, I mean, Australia has some absolutely amazing shark researchers, some of the absolute best in the world. And a lot of what I do is more communication now. So I really rely on my friends to really help push the government in the right direction and help them make the best decisions for these species that we can get. What other threats are there to the sharks? The number one threat to sharks is is commercial fishing, long line fishing out at sea. Okay. But of course, there's all of these other things like you know the shark calling or the shark nets or the drum lines up in Queensland uh, that can have a pretty big impact there's plastics pollution that I know Ian you know a lot about that can impact sharks as well fishing for other species not necessarily shark but the fact that we're changing the way that sharks behave and where they go looking for food on top of everything there's this huge looming threat of climate change and what is that going to do to ocean currents what is that going to do to prey availability? The ocean is, fa is facing quite a lot of issues right now. And that's why it's important for us to not only tackle the big ones, but 
but do what we can to even address those small ones and build ocean resilience. I like it. So it's act local, think global. Oh yeah. Perfectly said. I, I remember just going down Western Sydney. It was, I think it was around Hornsby and I walked past a Chinese restaurant and I was actually amazed that they were selling shark fin soup there. So a lot of people think, you know, shark fin soup is a thing that happens in China. Um, but yeah, no, it's happening in our own backyard as well. That's right. And it's not just being served in restaurants on, in Australia. Up until last year, there was shark finning occurring in Australian fisheries. Myself and along with my colleagues at the Australian Marine Conservation Society, I'll give a shout out to my mate, Dr. Leo Guida. He's another guy that you could have on here that, that's uh, an, an incredible voice in shark conservation. But we've uh, led an initiative to get what's called fins naturally attached in Australian fisheries and what that means is that sharks that are fished in australia need to be landed or brought back to port with their fins naturally attached so they can't be cut off at sea any longer because as long as we bring them back to port we can then identify that species and we can better manage our shark fisheries uh, in this country for a long time that was not happening and we didn't even know with all these fins heading off to Asian markets, we didn't know what species of shark they were even coming from. And so we were unable to manage those fisheries adequately. Just as of last year, all but a very few fisheries in this country now must use fins naturally attached. And what is naturally attached, if you don't mind me asking? Fins that are naturally attached to a shark are, that means you haven't cut them off before the boat brings the shark into port. They cannot be processed or you cannot cut off the fins before they're brought into port. So interesting. And which state is the most progressive in in Australia? Ooh, that's, that's a good question. I would say as far as fisheries go, it would probably be the ones we live in here in New South Wales and Victoria. As far as shark culling programs like nets and drumlines, that would be uh, Western Australia. They formerly had lethal drumlines. And this was a big news story, actually, before I was in my current job in WA, when they were introduced plans to have a big shark cull. Massive uproar, massive rallies. Really, really great to see the whole community come out to Port Marine Wildlife, where they actually had to can that program. And now they they run smart drumlines, which are the ones that are, that are meant to be non-lethal, but they've come much further than Queensland and New South Wales. So, And all that stuff that's happening around all the different states, does that give us more support over here in New South Wales to get rid of the shark nets? It does put New South Wales in a, in a unique and, a, and, and not a position they want to be in as being one of the only places in Australia. So it's only Queensland and New South Wales that have shark nets. And there's only one or two other countries in the world that have shark nets. Oh, is it really? Yeah, that's oh, right. Wow. So, so New South Wales is really unique and not in a good way. That doesn't surprise me. Mm. What do you think about the South Australian shark? cage diving. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. I have a past in working in ecotourism. I was working on, on dive boats out of cans and uh, taking tourists to go see the Great Barrier Reef. And I can see 
the impact that divers and snorkelers and everyone that was going onto the reef would have, whether it was someone would stand up on a coral or someone would accidentally kick something over. And it made me ask myself if this was really a benefit to this environment and this ecosystem that I loved so, so much. And really the way that I justified it to myself is it's so difficult to get people to appreciate something and care about something and go home and make choices and changes in their life that would benefit that space unless they knew about it in most cases saw it and understood it and so i said you know what i will say what i do by bringing tourists out here is a net benefit to the great barrier reef because that's how they will go home and still care and still understand and i'm sure it's the same way for cage diving with great whites in south australia do i love that they're being fed and they're changing the shark's behavior and attracting them closer to boats no, I'm not that comfortable with that. However, are they effectively changing hearts and minds by helping people get into the water, see these magnificent animals, teaching them about how important a great white is as a top-down regulator of an ocean ecosystem? I think that answer is unequivocally yes. So I do support sustainable ecotourism like that. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Many, many moons ago, I used to work for New South Wales Fisheries. And I can remember back then they they were starting to look at, let's say, the grey nurse sharks, for example. Well, a commercial fisherman could go out there and, you know, catch a grey nurse back in the day and chop him up. And that might bring, you know, $500 into the local community once. But as you know... There's boatloads of divers every weekend, maybe even two or three boatloads a day going out, spending money to go see that grey nurse shark that could have been caught. And then dad or mum's giving money to the, you know, the kids to go and to the movies and leave them alone while they go diving. So, um, yeah, ecotourism is bringing a lot of money into the, into the local communities, which is good. It, it absolutely is. And and being from the United States, I, can I just say, this country has so much beautiful coastline, so many pristine, beautiful marine environments. I feel so lucky to, to get here and see it. And the people the people like us that do get to see that absolutely understand what, what, a, what a precious commodity our, our ocean ecosystem is here. So it is really great that ecotourism has taken off in those places. Going back to the to the shark nets again, I know we got a little bit off topic there. With the different technologies available, what sort of guarantee do you reckon you could give people that this technology is going to be better? Well, it's easy to give a guarantee that something can be better than the nets, but as you know, the answer to the to the question how can we keep people safe from shock bite? There is no silver bullet. At the end of the day, there is always a risk when we enter the water that something could happen. And that's something that it's not, you know, some people aren't ready to acknowledge, but it is a, fa a fact of life. What we do know about shock nets is that they're completely incapable of reducing the risk of shock bite. They're only about 100 to 150 meters long. Placed on a beach that's up to a K, you're not creating any sort of barrier. Sharks can swim over them, under them, around them. In fact, there was a study in 2012 on where sharks were caught in the net. And they found that 40%, almost half were caught on the inside of the net. It's like if you had uh, one, if you had one face, facial tissue for a fly screen in your front door, it's a bit, it, it, and, and expecting you're going to keep all the mozzies out. 
Now, what's probably more important, what guarantee do we have for the marine life like turtles and manta rays and dolphins? And that's exactly right. So we're killing these other animals. And not only that, if you have a carcass of a dolphin hanging in a net, you are potentially attracting large sharks closer to shore by doing things like that and having these dead animals and carcasses hanging in nets. We've received pictures from the Department of Primary Industries where they're taking out large carcasses of rays and dolphins that have huge shark bites taken out of them. So not only are nets incapable of reducing the risk, they're potentially increasing the risk by having dead animals hanging off our popular beaches. Well, a lot of people don't know that, do they? No, they don't. And they've been told and they've been taught that shark nets are out there to protect them, and it's really, really not the case. Actually, they're baiting the sharks, bringing them closer. Well, that's that's an interesting conversation to have with um, people that don't know too much about it. Yeah. What are the areas that are zoned for no fish no take zones there are what are called uh marine protected areas there's a network of hope spots oh yeah or hope spots yeah this is a a, a network of marine protected areas uh, all around the world and you may have heard a uh, initiative called 30 by 30 and that's a un initiative to try to get 30 percent of our oceans in no take marine reserves and what that means is that they cannot have extractive use so no fisheries no deep sea mining, anything like that, that could uh, mess up the marine environment. And it's really an important initiative because that is the way that we're going to seed the rest of the oceans. If we can just protect 30%, that will seed and keep the rest of the oceans protected and healthy. There's a lot of things that go into this as far as how fish reproduce, how corals reproduce, do they cast their fertilized eggs into the ocean currents. And those fish and those larval plankton uh, go and colonize new areas. So, so protecting small amounts of areas around our coasts in the open oceans can really seed and be an ongoing life-giving force to the rest of the oceans. Well, are you optimistic about the 30-30 initiative or do we need to do a lot of work to convince people? I think we're nearly there. I think when it comes to places that are inshore where people have been fishing, it is sometimes difficult to have that conversation with people who claim those areas as, as their own and have been fishing in certain areas for a very, very long time. It's one of those things that we were talking about earlier today where it's much more effective to have a conversation with someone to try to understand their point of view rather than come, come and tell them what to do without explaining to them the problem or the benefit of why you're doing what you're doing. And so once we understand that closing a small amount of areas on our coast and closing them off from fishing will actually benefit the productivity of fishing in all the areas around it, those are the types of conversations we need to have. There's things called spillover, where fish in the protected area will start colonizing areas outside that um, and will make those areas more productive. Uh, and this is actually something that uh, indigenous communities in the South Pacific have, has, uh, have understood for thousands of years. Islands will say certain parts, certain parts of their coastline are taboo to fishing. The chief would say, no one can fish here. And would, it would make all the areas around the other side of the island so much more productive just because the fish had that one refuge. 
So there is a deep-seated indigenous knowledge uh, and a basis uh, of understanding backed up by science, by modern science, that says if we close small areas of our coast to fishing, it will benefit fishing throughout the rest. I totally of the agree with you there. The, the cultural heritage, um, we've lost it in modern times. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. In certain ways, we absolutely have. For so long, we've had an attitude that nature is something to be dominated, and we need to we need to exert our control over it. And we fishermen and different people, it's like this is our bag limit, and we're taking our bag limit, and then that's it. That's right. And and but what we need to understand is we are a part of this ecosystem, and we need to coexist within it. We're not set apart. We're not something different. Yeah, we're a bit sm- yeah we're a bit smarter than fish, but not when it comes to doing living the life that they live. We need to understand that we are a part of this ecosystem, much as as much as a fish is a part of an ocean ecosystem, and we need to accept our roles um, uh, within that ecosystem and, and and learn to coexist in a much healthier way. And this all goes back to education again, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Education is key. Um, yeah, you know, the the more we understand about this environment, that knowledge is one ones that we pass down to. To, to the younger generations. And I know, uh, Ian, you were telling me all about um, your Captain Crackers initiative, and you're absolutely right in speaking with those children. I, I mean, explain to me, uh, I don't speak to children all the time, but you do, explain to me, how is helping children understand these things going to benefit us? I think us? It's, a, it's a long-term strategy that I look at, and, and the way that I see it is um, if we can impress kids at an early age, they're going to take that, and especially if they've had an interaction with a shark and it's been a good interaction, that um, they're, they're going to be our ambassadors of the future to to save them. And, um, yeah, that's what I want. I want kids and to grow up and teach the adults because sometimes the adults are already too far gone mm. with their belief systems. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, we we definitely see that in the in the difficulty of getting rid of this shot these shock nets as well. I mean, everyone can see that it's a pretty irrational, illogical program. Uh, it's a waste of money and it's a scourge on our marine environment. But it's because these ideas are so entrenched. That's the true difficulty in getting it ended. Sure is. What can people do to help sharks in the future? Oh, well, there's a lot of things that people can do. And, and, you know, some of them might not seem so direct, but but it's about building ocean resilience. Uh, I was talking about earlier how important sharks are to the marine environment. So anything we can do to help their environment, that will help shark populations, whether it's reducing our, our single-use plastic, uh, how much how much plastic we use it can be using resources that we now have online from organizations like my own to choose sustainable seafood options there's a good way to fish the oceans and there is a bad way and we need to understand we need to help co- the consumer understand what is good and what is bad so that 
everyone can be making more responsible seafood choices. It comes down to uh, what we put into our wastewater. Most of Australia lives on the coast, so almost everything we put in our drains is going to at some point end up in the ocean. So it's about understanding what goes into there. And, you know, first and foremost, using your vote, using your dollar in the store to dictate what should be sold in the grocery store, but also using your vote to dictate what kinds of politicians are making legislation and are going to be leading our countries. Is it going to be the ones that are in the pockets of mines and big business and the banks? Or is it going to be the politicians that's going to create a healthy world for our future, our, our children and our children's children? I would always encourage people to vote and, and, and do their research when it comes to those times of the year, because it is very, very important. Yes, it is very important. And it's, it's very important to be a critical thinker and think about, you know, not just listen to them, but to actually see if they're going to tell the truth. <laughs> That's absolutely right. So we all know what politicians are like. And um, yeah, I've I've had a little bit of experience when I was in fisheries and um, with the politicians. And I always found that the, the louder you scream, the more attention that you get. Anybody out there listening to this, if you're really into wanting to save the marine environment, we need to get behind the Humane International Society for Australia. Get onto these politicians and send the emails, really get that information to them and yeah, win. Let's win. Yeah, let's do it. Let's 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 make the oceans a healthier place. And where can we find more information? We've got a great initiative along with the Australian Marine Conservation Society called Shark Champions. You can find that at sharkchampions.org.au. You can sign up to become a shark champion. You'll hear all of our information on different conservation issues that, that sharks face, whether it's fisheries regulations, whether it's the shark nets, whether it's uh, choosing sustainable seafoods, all of the information on the uh, on the programs that we run and the initiatives that we have can be found there. And that's a, that's a great place for people to start. So what next? The new shark net season will start on September 1st. And they said, I recently heard today that Cabinet's going to make a decision on that program this week. It's probably looking like they will go in this year, but I'm hoping that announcement will come with another one that is a planned phase out of the program. I think I think we're getting pretty close. The councils have spoken. Uh, uh, yeah, and we'll see. Beautiful. Well, thanks for joining us today, Larry. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Ian. It was an absolute pleasure. I, I really support what you guys do, and, and I'm more than happy to be on. Fantastic. And um, hopefully we can go for a dive one day. That would be awesome. You've been listening to Citizen. 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 Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show.